Hello, listeners. This is producer John. Open Pike Night is going to be at Trek Long Island 2024. From May 31st to June 2nd, Cameron and myself, producer John, will be in the Big Apple living long and prospering. We'll be hosting a panel. We'll be giving out stickers. We will have our microphones. Be sure to follow Open Pike on social media and subscribe to openpike.substack.com because we also will be giving away some Trek Long Island weekend passes. Trek Long Island is May 31st to June 2nd at the Hyatt Regency in Hopog, New York. This is Dana Gasparine, and you're listening to Open Pike Night by and for avid Strange New Worlds fans. Is this thing on? Hello, hello. Welcome to Open Pike Night, the Strange New Worlds podcast where your hails are the prime directive. I'm your host, John T. Bolds, here tonight with my co-hosts. Joining me, the man who yada 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 say something funny here, host of Sudden But Inevitable, Jesse. That's right, James. Wait, wait. Okay, that's right, John. I am excited to be talking with a professional editor tonight. Use take two. <laughs> and the man who blah, 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 maybe some joke about ripple deletes or color correction on the uniform here, host of Green Shirt, a newbie struck through TNG, Cameron. That is the final cut, John. <laughs> and as we begin, we would like to thank our listener supporters and our 25-minute set patron supporters, Steve, Mark, and Pam. You too can become a supporter of Open Pike Night at patreon.com slash openpike. Help us keep the lights on and enjoy lots of bonus episodes. So be sure to check it out and join today. Our guest tonight is no stranger to the editing room floor. She's the one who drops all your favorite actors on it with the cold, efficient blade of the editor's knife. Or maybe Final Cut Pro, Premiere, do people still use Avid? Welcome to our <laughs> guest, Dana Gasparine. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the reaction yeah, we want. people still use Avid. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my goodness. Yes. No, I'm sorry. Um... <laughs> Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. Absolutely. Think- well, we've just offended our guests right off the, <laughs> the get-go. But alternatively, I think it's the biggest laugh we've ever had right off the bat, too. So <laughs> some creative cutting and, you know, yeah, could be exactly. basically oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah. There we go. All right. Well, shall we just jump right in then to uh, when uh, a young Dana Gasparine first got interested in video editing? How did you get that bug? So I actually, I got into editing in high school. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are lifelong video and TV people. And I always liked movies and film or movies and te- uh, And I always liked movies and television. But I, when I was a junior in high school, I took a video media production course uh, or something like that. And one of my good friends and I, she would produce everything and I would edit everything. And then she grew up to be a producer and I grew up to be an editor, but now she works at Google. So it's a little different. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still editing though. So I kept with it. The things I remember the most are the music videos we made. And mm. when I first, mm-hmm. when I was first thinking about what I wanted to do, 
after high school, my thought process was more, oh, I'm going to be a music video editor. I'm going to do that. Even though it was like well past like MTV music videos were already (laughs) on the downhill. People weren't watching them anymore. And so then I had to change gears. Now, are we talking mini DVs? Did you have to log and capture for that? Or were you shooting digital already by that point? Yeah, with mini DVs, we did have to log and capture. I just forgot about that whole phase of of movie making. You're not supposed to re-traumatize people, John. (laughs) Hey, I had to go through all that. You wouldn't believe the box of mini DVs I have downstairs. Oh, yeah. Just just to show John and I's age, we had to strap two VCRs together and edit deck to deck was my first short film. So. The first editor I ever worked with, it, I, I'm pretty sure she only kept me around because she came from the film world and wasn't into the tech digital stuff as much. I mean, she was totally, she was extremely talented, very capable and did a great job, but didn't want to deal with her tech issues. Anything went wrong and she could be mm-hmm. like, hey, please fix this. There you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be nice. <laughs> tech issues are the worst yeah. part of editing. Yeah. yeah. Cam, did you ever have to cut 16 millimeter? I never, Only I never cut school. film. Yeah. yeah. That's but the it was, place I've ever done it. Yeah. I switched. I, I was there when super eight turned into mini DV and firewire came out. So yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a targeted t-shirt you would see on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I would oh buy that t-shirt. Oh my gosh, we should make that yes, t-shirt. I, know. <laughs> I, I, would, I was just thinking I would hundred percent buy that. <laughs> Well, it's great that you mentioned the first editor you worked with because our first caller, Newman, kind of has a question about that. Here we go. Hi, Open Pike. This is Newman, space hippie extraordinaire from the Movies for Days podcast. According to IMDb, your fantastically talented and awesome guest also edited Children of the Comet, which is an episode that I rewatched this week with my wife and was so profoundly overcome with emotion at... Uhura's journey, finding her place, not knowing if she belongs, and the monumentally inspirational speeches that she gets from both Pike and Spock. Uh, Recently, I took over a preschool class as a substitute, and it became a much more long-term assignment than expected. I got very emotionally involved in the children's lives, and there were a lot of, you're the only person for the job, so step up, you're here because you belong here moments. Did you have big moments in your early editing career where you learned a huge lesson from someone? And is that something you could speak about? Um, Love your work. Love the show. Keep rocking and rolling. Newman, out. Thank you, Newman. That was like, that was seriously such a sweet question and, and sounds like a very sweet journey he's on. I've been very fortunate. I think in my, my editorial career, I did the ACE internship program and, um, and it really, it introduced me to a lot of super amazing editors and assistant editors and people who were assistant editors at the time who are now editors, um, full-time and editors who have retired and stuff like that too. And, um, the two editors I, I worked the most closely with in my, in my career are Lori Jane Coleman and Peter Forsland. They're both ACE editors. They're both extremely talented people that are, uh, I love them both so much. <laughs> I learned a million good lessons from both of them. Something I learned from Lori was that this is just a job and a career. And I say that because I like, I think most people who get into any kind of film and television making and really any kind of art form, 
you're doing it because you're really passionate and it's the only thing you can see in the world that you want. And it's the only concept of, of happiness you can have out there in the work world. And um, my great aunt was uh, very sick and passed away when I was working with Lori on a show that was really difficult. It was just stressful hours and it was, and I was her assistant and it was one of these days where, I mean, she was just so good to me. Um, there was one day my dad called me and my great aunt was passing away. And at this point I'd lost all my grandparents. I, I had only known my grandmothers, but at this point, um, she was as close to a grandparent as I had left and we were pretty close. And so he called me, he told me what was happening. I'm like crying on the phone and she's trying to call into my office. Like I need something, I need something. And I'm just not. And then finally I just on the phone bawling and I go into her office and I just keep bawling talking to my dad. And then I get off the phone and she is just like, okay, take a, <laughs> take a breath, tell me what's going on. And I told her what was happening. And you know, she, this was a Friday and we knew we had a Saturday to work and we knew we were working the next day on Saturday. And long story short, I, I told her what was happening and she said, go home. And I was still pretty early in my assisting career. And the last thing you want to do is seem like you're not working hard. You're not, you're not passionate about this. You don't want this mm -hmm. as much as the next guy, because there are so, so, so many people who want to do what we do and not everybody's going to be lucky enough to. Um, and in that moment, she was just like, she got on the computer. She looked up a flight, we booked it. And, uh, my, our like wonderful PA at the time, uh, who's now like post super cause she's awesome. Um, she took me to the airport and I, I went home and I was lucky enough to see my great aunt. I, I was there the next morning on Saturday morning. I saw her in the morning. I spent all day there and she passed that night. So, cause at first I was like, I'll go after work tomorrow, but I never would have gotten a chance to see her. And so the moral of that story was that, you know, this is a, this is a passion and this is an amazing job and I would never want to do anything else. Um, but at the same time, like it's okay to have other loves and passions and it's okay to remember sometimes like this is just a job. And sometimes when things aren't going well, that, it's just not going well this time, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and, and it might go well in the future. And, um, and then I worked with Peter Forslund for the majority of my assisting career. And he was a really, really big part of getting me to move up. Peter's always been in my corner and, um, he's also extremely talented. And when it comes to actual editing tips and, and technique, I probably learned the most from him because we worked together for so long. <laughs> One lesson I remember Peter told me was like, you don't have to be so nervous and talk all the time. <laughs> it's okay to be quiet. <laughs> clearly, I haven't, clearly I didn't learn that lesson, but like, whatever, it's cool. Um, Some lessons but, uh, you study for a long time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he also, him and Lori both, they both taught me the lesson, you know, you should have a reason to make a cut. You shouldn't just randomly do, 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 do. You should know why you're cutting. Like, oh, did Dana just stumble 10 times in a row? And so we're going to cut to Jesse's reaction so that we can, you know, link her audio underneath and then we'll come back to her and, you know, and then Cameron and John have a great reaction to that. And, and it's very important that they, that we know what they're thinking because they're, making the markers in the whatever. Okay. This is a bad example. I'm sorry, but no, it's I great. I'm loving it you're myself. Not, but yeah. Completely following it. <laughs> okay, cool. 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 Um, 
but yeah, uh, basically like I know the two, two lessons I got from Peter, you know, have a reason why you make a cut. Cause whenever I would cut scenes and he would review them for me and give me notes when I was, you know, starting out and everything he would, if he didn't know why I did something or, you know, really just translation didn't like what I did. He'd be like, why'd you do that? <laughs> and so, yes, I've, I've gotten those questions. And you're like, it felt right. <laughs> and, and people did, I, I will say I've had directors and I've had showrunners all ask me that. Why'd you do that? Or why'd you cut here? Because I've been lucky enough that I've worked with a lot of really great people. And most of the time they're working with you because they think you have something to contribute. So if you show them something they weren't expecting, especially directors, I think, um, in television, at least, uh, if you show them something they weren't expecting, they kind of want to know why you did it, because maybe they're, maybe you're setting up something they're not aware of, especially in television where we only have our directors, you know, usually for one episode, Mm. at least in streaming. I mean, in broadcast where they have more episodes, sometimes directors come back a little more often per season, but, um, like, so I might have already read all the way through the rest of the season mm. or however many scripts we have out. And so I might make a cut because I know, like, you know, John's going to have this big reveal in yeah. two episodes. Start setting up my yeah. mood now before exactly. then. Yeah. yeah. I guess you should so, see his face. <laughs> that and, <laughs> that's actually fascinating. That's great. That's interesting. Um, that and the other thing that Peter very much instilled in me is like not to make a cut on a blink. Like when people's <laughs> eyes are let them oh, finish yeah, blinking. Because yeah. <laughs> he he said he I remember he told me that more often than not somebody's going to give you a note on that and they're not going to know why they're giving you a note but they're going to give you a note on it and he is ah. so right. <laughs> you gotta love those easy like tips like oh just don't cut on a blink I can do that that's easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean sometimes it's not because sometimes you get people who definitely blink a lot or <laughs> just have very very like. You know, they they squint when they talk because they're really in the moment. And so you can't really tell if they're blinking. So what I really love about both Newman's question and Dana's answer is that they really reinforce something that we have come to find here at Open Pike Night through the course of all of our interviews, which is like huge budget, gorgeous, excellent cinematic television that we get to watch is made by a lot of people going out of their way to be good humans to other people. Like, just passing on the skills that they learned the hard way as easily as they can. And that's, I think, especially in, you know, the current climate of streaming and striking and ratification of contracts and things like that, having some reminders for that is really cool. So Mm -hmm. thank you both, again, Newman and Dana. Those were really good. Yeah. Well, uh, before we get to Star Trek and Strange New Worlds, I did want to hit a couple of your other credits. Uh, I mean, I know you were uh, just a production assistant on this, but you have to have some Dark Knight Rise stories. I do. Ooh, all right. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Audience, she is so excited. I am. And almost almost everybody who knows me has heard this story, and a lot of people were involved in this story. So, okay. For Dark Knight Rises. Okay. Um, the way I was a production assistant on Dark Knight Rises was I was going to college in Pittsburgh and they shot part of the movie there. Pittsburgh's not like New York or L.A. or at least th- at that point it wasn't. Um, Pittsburgh has a big film scene and movies and TV came there and stuff and have definitely been there since. And it's actually a really cool place to shoot. So like all the more power to them. But um, 
it's not a city that's used to filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So like everybody was on high alert, like, oh, people are here, like movies and TV stars. Woo. So I was a waitress at a restaurant in Pittsburgh and uh, one of my tables, there was three of them. They were talking about like cameras and whatnot. And I just, you just knew that they were film. You knew that they were working on the movie. I had, I, I knew it right away, but like young Dana was like, I'm going to make them my friends. I'm going to talk to them. This is going to be how I get into the industry. <laughs> so dumb. But um, so I, I am relating with and you so, so hard. Oh, right man, now, yeah. <laughs> I've been right? in that exact situation. Because when you're young, you're like, every single opportunity is going to make or break my entire life. And it's not. <laughs> it's not. You think it is. And maybe it could, but it probably won't. But um, I don't know what kind of BS I pulled out of my ass, but I said something about transcoding footage into Final Cut and Avid and Premiere, even though I had never even worked on Avid at the point at that point. And I just said something about editing and they were like, oh, she's like young and nice. And so so they asked me and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in film school and blah, 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 blah. blah. And they're like, well do you want to be a PA on Batman tomorrow? And I was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, is that a real question? <laughs> and, but yeah, they got me in touch with Luke, who was our key PA. And he basically was like, hey, show up here. Show up at, show up at uh, the football stadium tomorrow. Um, wear black. I think, I don't remember if I had to wear black. I don't, I think he just said show up. And I was like, okay. So I got there and I met two friends in, in like, and anytime somebody wanted something, I was like, running across the field trying to do a million things anytime somebody called on the walkie like hey i need this i'd be like i got it and so um <laughs> people kind of liked me and they were like okay come back tomorrow and i was like okay and then uh after that my name was just on the call sheet and that was cool i was like hey, this is fun and exciting i still have these call sheets um <laughs> not that i was ever going to be an ad but i was like i'll keep them um and we shut down a really major street in pittsburgh that pittsburgh People were not like Yinzers were not ready for that and <laughs> didn't like that. And because um, Pittsburgh's just not one of those cities that's used to film production and all the shutdowns and everything like that. So they weren't prepared or individual people weren't prepared for it. The movie bought out almost every store on the street. There was just a couple of holdouts. One was Staples or Office Max, one of those. And um, I think because it's a big corporation and the other was the Canadian Fur Trade Company, which was a couple <laughs> doors down on the same side of the street. So, And they put me in the staples and or like the office supply store, whatever it was. And it was great because it was right on the street. You could see the um, what were those things called? I don't think they were called tumblers, but whatever, like the. The, yeah, the tumbler, the Batmobile. Yeah. Yeah. OK, the yeah. tumblers. OK, yeah. that is what they were called. So. It was like the street where like the tumblers were going down. So like you could see out and it was kind of cool. And um, I just basically had to hold people and be like, hey, it's just going to be a couple of minutes so that this can go by. Because it was a very narrow field of vision um, for the stunt drivers. And so what I was telling people is like, listen, it's a very narrow field of vision for them. We don't want them to see anything in the peripheral that could startle or shock or mess them up in any way because then somebody's going to get hurt. Um, so on this day. Oh man. And like all my friends from film school who I'm still mostly friends with, like they were all there. And <laughs> so, but then guy from the Canadian fur trade company came in and he was clearly like not having it, not about this like movie set life. It was probably, he probably, if it wasn't his business, he probably wished his boss had a, 
let them get bought out because I'm sure they didn't get much business that day. Mm-hmm. So he comes in the staples and then when he wants to go out, I have to hold him and he's not happy about it. And, um, and of course it's the one time that like something's wrong. So we're holding, we're just <laughs> holding people. We're not letting them leave. And of course it's that one time. And he's like so annoyed and the, the employees are totally on my side. Like, trying to be like, like they're trying to defend me and everything like, Oh, it's fine. I'll be a couple minutes. This guy's so angry. And so like, so annoyed, so pissed off. And now mind you, I'm five, three. And I swear to goodness, this guy was six, two. He might not have been quite that big, but I was intimidated. He had six, two energy. Yeah. He was effectively six. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. was like much taller than me. And like, and he was just huffing and puffing. He was so annoyed. And then at one point, he was like, this is ridiculous. I'm just going. I was like, I'm really sorry. I can't have you go. It's dangerous. And then like, they're like, I can hear them in the background. Like, okay, we're rolling. And I was like, they're rolling right now. It's going to go. And then there's like two seconds later, somebody says, okay, hold. And then oh God. And from our vantage point, you can see the tumblers. And so you can see that people aren't like going, but there's also wires all over the street. Like this is a, mm-hmm. this is a whole yeah. gosh darn film set. Film set. Yeah. <laughs> And um, then I apologize, sir. It's just going to be a couple more minutes. And he's just like, no, I'm going now. And I was like, no. And for some dumb reason, like, again, that young, oh, my God, I'm going to get fired and people are going to hate me. And like, this will ruin my career before it even starts. Mode of my brain was like, I positioned myself between him and the door. Like, this guy's getting so frustrated that he's like pushing me, like physically pushing and pinning me against this door. And I'm on the walkie like, hey, Luke. Uh, can I please let this guy through? He really wants to go. Um, no hold. Like we'll send someone to you. Like, okay, but he really wants to go. And he's like, no hold. They're going to, they're rolling now. And I was like, I was like, uh, Luke, this guy. And he's like starting to yell and curse at me. People could hear me like panicking and this guy yelling. And at one point for 150 PAs, I just hold my walkie down. And he's like, rebel, 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 rebel. Like, let me be rude to this 21 year old child over here. And I'm just like, uh, uh. And then, like, at a, and, and I hear, and they're like, it's, and then they're like, I hear somebody say, okay, they're going. Don't worry. It's, it'll be over in five minutes. And I was like, oh my. In back of my mind, I'm like, no, it won't because I have to come all the way back down here. And like, and I was like, guys, I'm trying to hold him. I, I don't know if I got, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, I don't know if I got him. And I can see from behind my like peripherals, the tumbler goes by, goes, like comes from like my right side, goes past my left side. And I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to hold him. I'm, he's going, he's going. And then all of a sudden people said that they could see from their vantage points from the other side of the street, like they could see the doors moving. And then oh. all of a sudden, cause this guy was pushing me. And so then I like, moved myself to stop being pushed and he pushed me through the the door and I like flew, apparently like the door flung open like the tumbler went by and then the door flew open and then I, and I like I went out butt first and landed on the ground and this guy just like left and like stormed down the street and I like got up and was like uh uh look both ways and then we went back in and scurried inside and I was like oh my god I'm gonna get fired totally gonna get fired that's what's gonna happen now I didn't get fired everybody was really nice to me and the special effects team was really nice. And somebody told me that like, you know, the special effects or teams, because everybody knew because mm-hmm. I <laughs> held down my walkie because I didn't know what to do. And so everybody knew this happened. And I was like, Oh my God, my friends are here. And like, people are going to, I was like, I'm never going to work again. And, um, like everybody came, like everybody on set who knew who I was, was checking on me, which is great. And then the next day, Luke, who is our key PA, he like the next day our key PA goes, 
all right, Dana, it's Sunday. I'm going to give you an easy one. I'm going to put you in the church. I was like, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Did anybody else picture the guy from the Canadian fur trade company to be wearing like a fox around his Uh, neck? and hundred percent with like the French Canadian (laughs) accent. Yeah. Yeah. Leather pants. Yeah, that's who I was picturing, and I was like, "This is terrifying." (laughs) If I remember correctly, he had like a a jacket and slacks on, not not quite fur related, because it was summer too, so it was hot. (laughs) Like not. Even though there's fake snow everywhere, it was summertime. <laughs> I also thought you were going to say, and that was the take they use. And if you look real closely behind the Batmobile, yeah. you can see me <laughs> fall backwards through a door. Oh, Man. that actually wasn't the Batmobile. Like at some mm. point later that day, too, they did do the Batmobile. And I remember, like, because the Batmobile was like a suspended type of thing, it was like in the air. Like a car would drive, oh, right. and there was a big kind of crane thing that held the Batmobile. Ah. <laughs> at one point, they hit a light, and it was right in front of us. <laughs> And it like crashed and like oh. everything. And I turned to the Staples employees and I was like, this is why I needed you to stay inside. Yeah. <laughs> now, can you just like, are you allowed to just tell people like, give Batman five minutes? Yeah, like, exactly. Give- <laughs> like Batman is fighting outside. Give him. Yeah. Like, are you space. able to just say that? Or do you have like some kind of NDA where you're like, oh, it's a movie. Don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> Oh, everybody so, knew it was Batman. Yeah. Oh, Paul three. I wish I had said that. Like, come on, guys. Batman's yeah. saving the city. Give him two seconds. Yeesh. Yeah. Oh, I should have tried that next time. Next time. <laughs> well, let's jump into uh, Michelle's question, because I think she also brings up another one of Dana's credit. Yeah. Here we go. Hey, Open Pike Night. So I'm going to start off with my Crusher connection this week, because I feel like editing can be slightly akin to surgery. And just like Dr. Crusher is very good with her cuts that she makes to her patients and and closing them up and making sure everything turns out great at the end, I am sure that uh, your guest this week is also very skilled and adept in uh, her precise cuts and making sure that we get great content. So welcome, Dana. And, um, you know, I know... You do Strange New Worlds editing as well as editing for The Walking Dead. So I'm a big fan of that as well. And my question ties into that. I'm wondering if there's a difference in editing for a cable show versus a streaming show. So something like AMC or a network show, which may have a bit more of a precise runtime that you have to meet versus editing for a streaming service like Paramount Plus that might have a little bit more wiggle room. I I don't know the ins and outs. Maybe I'm off base, but I feel like there might be more stressors one way or the other. Uh, Of course, I'm interested in everything uh, in terms of how you work with creatives, how you make those very hard cuts, And just thank you, because editing is so important. It keeps the pace moving. Um, I did some video editing in college, and it is a skill. So thank you for all that you do, and thank you for coming on the pod. Live long and prosper. Oh, that is so sweet. Thank you, Michelle. Um, I mean, the first thing I'll say is I I wasn't an editor on Walking Dead. I was an assistant editor on one episode for my friend Tiffany when we both kind of moved up to editing at the same time. and I had moved up on the path and she woke, she moved up on The Walking Dead. And so ah. she needed an assistant for like a month. And I filled in between jobs because it was right when I had become an editor. And sometimes at the beginning, 
of your like of your editorial career you might have to do both things just to keep your healthcare hours and Mm. so that's what i was doing i still think of myself in my early part of my career and i partially feel that way because of the pandemic and the strike shutdowns because to me i feel like although i've been editing full-time since 2017 I also sometimes feel like I lost two years of my career. Hmm. So even though the math is what, like six years there, I sometimes I still feel like I'm only on my fourth or fifth year. Um, so I'm not, I, I may not be the most in-depth person, but from my experience assisting um, and just being in the industry, like as an assistant editor and an editor, um, I can say with, I like streaming because we are a little less um, limited with run times. One of the biggest difference if you have something on cable or broadcast is you're not a slave to your total runtime, but like you're totally a slave to your runtime. You have to, <laughs> it has to be a certain length. It can't, it can't be that much longer and it can't be that much shorter because they've programmed in um, commercial breaks. And with streaming, we have a much bigger variance, at least on the streaming shows I've worked on. We've had usually like 10 minute variances. And it's why sometimes you'll see some of our episodes are 48 minutes. And sometimes our episodes are maybe a little bit more than 60 um, versus you're never going to get a 60 plus minute episode on broadcast Mm. uh, or cable because they they can't do that. but yeah, and, and as far as like precise cutting, I completely agree. It's all me. I'm wonderful. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Totally kidding. Um, it's actually, it's, it's not all me. I definitely, I take my job very seriously and I really care about what I do. And I definitely, I almost, I always have a reason behind every edit. Um, I, I, I always know why I'm doing something even if the something is because Henry and Akiba said so. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) fine. They win. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm not the only one making those decisions, you know, and even down to the fact that like, you know, we have like an amazing costume and hair and makeup and, and our DP is amazing. And there's so many people that make what you're seeing great that I don't want to take all the credit there. You know, we work with our directors, we work with the showrunners, we work with uh, like Secret Hideout and the studio and the network. And so people have notes and some of the decisions kind of get made for you. Sometimes sometimes I'm like, oh, that's my favorite part. I really don't want to cut this beat and I'll do everything I possibly can to save it and try to answer the note in whatever creative way I can just to save that moment. But sometimes I don't get to save that moment. But I, I, I do like that analogy towards surgery because most of the time it is pretty precise. It is, it's very intentional. Um, I know why I'm doing something and I'm not, I'm not just cutting because they shot that shot. Like sometimes we don't, sometimes some of the coolest stuff they shoot, we don't use. And I feel so bad because you know, they spent like 12 takes on that and it's like, Ooh, sorry guys. How do you, you personally prepare for an edit with regard to getting all your files and pieces organized like in a way that makes sense to you do you have like a routine you do at the beginning at the you know at the beginning of an edit oh yes i'm so ocd (laughs) my poor assistant editors that have had to work with me um (laughs) they've all been wonderful um i i mean i start off i start off an episode reading the script like anybody else does um 
And Lori always taught me to do an editor's breakdown. And so I start off an episode reading the script and doing my own personal editor's breakdown. I'll make a list for myself of scenes that I think are going to be a little harder to do and things that I want to pay a little more attention to, or um, just so that I know what's coming. I'll, I'll also sometimes like gather some sound effects that I think are going to be very helpful. Like they're just temp, obviously, um, because we have an amazing sound team, an amazing visual effects team. So some of those temp things I do, you know, they don't, they don't matter in like the long, long run, but they matter for giving people a vision of the, of the story. When I was moving up to editor, I had, I made a like step-by-step guide of like how to be Peter Forslund's assistant. And then I took that and I made one for like how to be my assistant. Cause at the time it was basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. And now it's a little different, but you know, the way I like to have my dailies all in front of me, I like to have, um, I basically like we, we usually shoot mo- more than one camera at once. So like I'll have my group clips all lined up and I'll have single camera clips on top of it so I can see what angles they are. Hmm. And for, for Strange New World specifically, I have a, like a color coding system of how I track on screen lines. Like Pike is yellow and Una is yellow unless she's also with Pike. And like if, if Pike and Una are in a scene, Una is white unless Chapel's in the scene. And it's like very <laughs> color coordinated. <laughs> this is but brilliant. It's, it, it makes no sense. And like Ortegas is always green. Nobody else is allowed to be green. I don't Heck know why. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think this green's my favorite color. So I'm like, that's my Ortega's color. I'll mark all the lines and stuff like that. But like most of the time when I'm looking at a scene, I, I mark my my dialogue so I can reference back to it quickly. And I also do that for when I'm working with other people so I can get to things more quickly and we can be as efficient as possible. Because especially like with Strange New Worlds, we've only ever been remote. So, Mm. and I was very nervous about that at the beginning. So, um, we do have an amazing script supervisor and I, I love her so much and I'm so grateful for her. And, um, and I, I will use her notes, but I usually look at the script supervisor's notes of like what the director said. I usually look at that stuff after I put something together myself and, um, something I'll do if I have time is some, a lot of times if I think a scene can go more than one way, I'll cut it more than one way. especially if it looks like the director's trying to do something specific, but I might have more knowledge than they do later on in the season that I might want to have something in the background, like, like as a backup ready. Let's get, let's get some examples of that. No, that, yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> do you, have any, ex- do you yeah. have any examples of like foreshadowing like you've, yeah, you've, you're building uh, foreshadowing. That's meant great. To put hey, in. That's a great question. Um, cause it's kind of hard, like in strange new world specifically, because we're relatively episodic, we, we don't always have a lot of things to foreshadow. Um, but surprisingly a lot of it comes in, a lot comes across. Yeah, it does actually. Now that I'm thinking about, it. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I know that sometimes when I've had like dinner scenes and whatnot and or dinner scenes or like, I know in Ad Astra Perspera, like for sure. I did, there was a couple of times when I was working with our, with Valerie, who's our director and she's awesome. She shot all these amazing reaction shots of everybody. Mm. Um, ironically though, like she had to, we shot them like in our pickup section in our, like later in the scene. So when we first shot it, we had storyboards in there to be like, okay, I think I'm going to go to Pike at this point. I think <laughs> I'm going to go, you know, blah, blah, blah. But 
when Una's saying certain things, like who you're on for their reaction is usually oh, like yeah. very, to me, it was like very intentional. Like when she's talking about being a freak or a monster, I'm either putting most of the time, like I was either putting Lon or Spock on there because mm-hmm. they're so used to being outcasts. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, let's show, let's show them being outcast. And that's kind of the reverse is like knowing the history of characters and putting them on screen intentionally for that. And, um, at Astro Per is actually, it's like, that's actually one where that's the best example of like, especially when Una is giving her speech and she's saying everything, every time you're on somebody, it's, uh, it's like super intentional. And for me, I try to build those moments, knowing who the characters are and where they might grow to be honestly like having literally just watched that episode last night that a hundred percent comes through because like you said there's something about being a freak or different and it goes to la'an and then there she says something about all the lives that una saved and una starts talking about those lives and it goes to mbenga and there's one shot where the reaction that we get is uhura checking somebody else's reaction yeah Checking Lon's reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I, like watching it, I was like, holy crap. Like that is so yeah. well placed and subtle. Like you because it puts you in Uhura's body for a moment. You're like, I just yes, what is she and why would she care? Oh, it's because that's her mentor. Like, ah, oh, it's so yeah. good, Dana. So good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, but again, it's it's the type of thing where, you know, our our DP and our camera operators and, and ACs, like they all, they captured that moment and it was great. And our, our actors are phenomenal. There's, they are (laughs) all amazing. And so um, they are doing these things intentionally too. And like, they're obviously not watching that live um, in, in real worlds, but I, I I know exactly what moment you're talking about. Cause I remember, (sighs) I remember building it out once we got, once I got that footage and then showing it to Valerie and Valerie really liking it. And I was like, yay. I made Valerie happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, your job is like sit down in front of a treasure chest and open it up and bask in the gleam of the golden coins. Like it's yeah, like I'm legitimately full on jealous. So I mean, you are the first person who gets to watch these episodes. Mini fans are very envious of that. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and it's cool too because it's like sometimes I'm seeing stuff that you know. It's never gonna be like at Astro Perispera. It was kind of too long at one point and we sort of had multiple endings and we ended up combining them in kind of like a really interesting creative way that like, I, I almost can't explain without showing it shot by shot. Um, it was basically like the conclusion, like the final, like closing arguments we did. Like we tried really interesting things there. Like we tried one version where it was like so short, and it was like straight to the point and it was over and you were like, ah, that's not enough. But then we let it breathe again and we put more footage back in and it, it, we found that happy medium. And it was just like, that was really, that was really satisfying. Had you, I don't know, am I jumping ahead, but had you read the, those old scientists script while you, before you edited at Astro? No, I hadn't. Okay. And I don't think it was, a vi- I don't remember if it was, if that was available to us yet. Cause that's episode seven. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when we're shooting two, we usually, I think have at least through four, if not five, I, I hadn't watched the crossover before during that episode. So, okay. Yeah. 
Good deal. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just curious just with the connection between those two episodes. I wasn't sure if that was that played in at all with the uh, the foreshadowing. So no, but then it, you know if what probably actually did end up happening there though was that um was the fact that like Henry and Akiva know what they're doing, and so some of the notes they gave me probably reflected that and i didn't even uh. know that's what i was doing and i might still be making an intentional an intentional change but it's akiba and henry's change and like it's actually their credit even though i push the buttons yeah. you know um i'm picturing you know it's like you need to put back in the line at aspera aspera you can't cut that like, oh fine <laughs> oh no that was the name of the episode yeah. i was like okay <laughs> all right i'm gonna play the next two callers back to back they they overlap pretty well but uh Two of, our, two of our main callers and fans, and uh, here, first up, is Mark. Hello, Open Pike Knight. This is Engineer Mark, and welcome to Editor Dana Gasparine. Um, my question is on how the relationship works between editing and the other part of the, the show, you know, actors, directors, writers, anyone else who has an input into the process. And also what your input is back towards them as well. Um, that would be very interesting to hear about. Thank you very much. Live long and prosper. And here is Zoe. Open Pike Night. This is Zoe Richardson, captain of the USS Cinema and host of Backlick Cinema, the podcast. So I'd like to welcome Dana Gasparin. Did I say that right? Is it Gasparine? Gasparini, I I am so sorry. I should have did some research on how your name is properly pronounced, and I did not. Anyway, um, my question is, well, actually, this is a little embarrassing, but I have no idea what a TV and film editor actually does. I mean, I imagine that you're in cahoots with the director, the writers, the showrunner, and y'all all are trying to hash out like the best story that you possibly can and I imagine that there are things in the editing room that you I mean some things that you might have to cut out you know like you might have some disagreement on how the story is going or the pace of the show and what have you so when there are these disagreements who's you who usually wins out I mean is it in the editing bay is it the editor overall or or is it like a fight to the death hold on Ensign, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, it's supposed to be asymmetrical. Put that down. <laughs> I'm sorry. I gotta go. Bye. Oh, so, always bringing us into the world, right? <laughs> it's so good. Um, okay, cool. Well, it is Gasparine, and that's. I was actually surprised Mark said it right the first time because people usually say Gasparine or oh. Gasparin or whatever, and so I'll answer to anything. Actually, like my grand when my grandparents came here, it was Gasparini, and we oh, changed okay. it. So anything is fine. You know, we're <laughs> easygoing. Um, I guess I'll answer what editing is first, just because it. I feel like it lays that groundwork. Um, editing is basically the process of cutting each image together. So when you see a wide shot and then all of a sudden you're no longer in that wide shot, you're in a close-up and then you're on a close-up of the other person, I'm the person putting those images next to each other. Um, I think that's the simplest way to explain it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I get all the footage, I watch all the takes, I initially pick my 
favorite takes and put them in and then I'll, and then I layer it in with temp visual effects, temp sound work, temp music. I show it to the director first and the director, and this is specifically for, well, this part is also for film, but this is also like specifically a television um, breakdown because we only have the directors usually for about four days and in television versus in film, the director's on the whole time. Um, And so uh, I'll work with the director for four days. They'll essentially send me their notes and I'll send me their notes or work with me either in person or nowadays virtually. And then we'll go back and forth for a couple of days and then we'll get the cut as close to what their vision is as possible. And then we will pass that on to our showrunners in this case, um, Akiva and Henry. And then Akiva and Henry will start giving notes and they'll do a pass and it keeps going from there, you know, to studio network, et cetera, and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. Um, And in television as well, we usually, not all shows, but our show specifically, um, uh, most shows will have one editor per episode. Whenever you see my name on screen, I only worked on that footage. Occasionally you might see something where I might've edited a scene that ends up in another episode, but that doesn't happen too often. Mm. Um, that usually doesn't happen, but I have worked on shows where it does. So usually that's when the same director directed both episodes, but sometimes it's not. And that's kind of an exception to the rule. Usually I specifically work just on my episodes and I have access to the other episodes. I can watch them. Um, I'll watch everybody else's cut. So I know what's going on. And also to see, uh, what my fellow editors, Andrew and Wes, who are so gosh darn amazing. Um, they're both super talented and super creative. And I'll, I like to see what they're doing as well. I'm still going to make my own decisions from my show because that's my job. <laughs> but <laughs> I might sometimes want to see what they're doing because sometimes it might affect my episode specifically. So I try, I think we all watch each other's episodes to see what's going on. And as far as my decision-making power and towards the final cut and whatever, the first step is always editor's cut. And so I've put every scene together the way I think it should be done. I've also shown, you know, all the footage. I don't normally make a lot of major scene or line cuts during editor's cut because you want people to be able to see everything we have to offer. And then when we start working with the director, we refine it a little bit. And that's when we might start taking things out or playing with this, that, and the other. You know, Henry and Akiva are the ones who stay on the show really the whole time. They run the show. Um, they're part of the writer's room, the concepts, the the scripts, the notes in that phase. They do all that. And then with production, they're still constantly being consulted and they are constantly in demand. And then in editorial, we try to kidnap them and not let them talk to other people. Just kidding. We don't do that. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> if only. No, just kidding. But in editorial, they'll come and they'll work with us specifically and they'll stay working on the show, you know, until it is up on the air. And so like, as far as my decision making power is concerned, I have the most power during my editor's cut. But every time I work with people, especially on this show, everybody is very collaborative. And I think we all have the same goal of making the most interesting, good story possible. With every single one of my directors, they've all asked for my input. And when it's their cut, if we have a disagreement, they're going to win. Or at least I'll let them think they won. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, 
I think Henry and Akiva are great at listening and taking into consideration, you know, our thoughts and opinions. And I really appreciate that because uh, I like being heard and I like being part of the process. And um, and also I'm the only one who still knows what the director was thinking or why they were doing something. So I try to be a voice for the director throughout the process. Mm. Um, but like, ultimately at the end of the day, if I'm like fist to fist with Akiva and Henry, they'll probably win. Um, or, <laughs> or again, I'll let them think they won. Nah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, but with but, your previous uh, PA experience, if they ever need to lock a director out of the room, they know you can hold that. Door. <laughs> I know, so, yeah. I barricade myself. <laughs> I will like barricade myself in the room. Yeah. <laughs> like they. <laughs> um, and then I was just going to say, like the studio and the network also do have input. So, you know, these are the people backing the show. And so they have input. They get to give notes as well. Um, I'll defer to like, Akiva and Henry because uh, they're the people I work with the most and I'm usually like in line with them and sometimes we can't do a note that people give mm. like oh we want a shot of you know Dana's dad but Dana's dad wasn't on camera in this scene so we just can't do that sorry and he <laughs> you refuses know. to sign the release so. <laughs> he would <laughs> Two process questions I just thought of while you've been talking. Uh, so one, who edits the previously ons? Do you do that or does someone else I was come gonna on ask to do that? Those? Oh, Jesse, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm happy that you asked that because I'm like, I need to know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. So for most of my episodes, usually my assistant editor cuts them. Like um, my assistant season one was Trevor and he's awesome. And my assistant in season two and season three is uh, Cameron and he is also awesome. We and are. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> all, all Camerons are. <laughs> and um, so usually they, usually they start working on it. I think like, and when I was an assistant editor, I usually cut previously on. Now I, I have worked on shows where a promo department does it and it's not us at all. And like, we just have no control over it, but on strange new worlds, at least uh, my assistant usually cuts them and then I give some input on it and then they, you know, refine it. And if at the end of the day, I touch it a little, I usually don't cause I think my guys do a really great job. <laughs> and then how about deleted scenes or, or especially like outtakes? Is that something the editors are like, is it your job to kind of flag them or does someone else come in and like comb uh, through everything? So I'm not a hundred percent sure how it works on strange new worlds, because when I was an assistant, it was usually like an assistant editor responsibility that we mm. pulled them. And I have cut a lot of gag reels in my day and I love it. I think mm -hmm. they're so fun. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I'm any good at the gag reels, but I think they're funny. Um, so I, I think we usually, we usually have a gag spin in my project and my assistant and I will both pull stuff in there just, and I've worked on shows where we just, again, send that bin off to like promo department or somebody mm. else. Um, I'm just not sure on our show because the other thing too is most of editorial I believe is on the West coast, but we shoot in Toronto. And so I don't know if, I don't know how, how our gag reels work. I know we usually pull it like mm -hmm. 
my assistant and I, like Cameron and I pull it and then <laughs> hope somebody looks at it, if not just us. <laughs> and then deleted scenes, deleted scenes are, are things that we have. Oh, I need a deleted scene. I'll tell you that in a second. Sorry. Um, deleted scenes are something that was in the episode that I, as an editor or Andrew or Wes, um, we've cut it and then um, it's gotten taken out. So that's like, we usually, if we lose a whole scene, we will, you know, sub it out and put that that I believe is just in an extra bin that gets sent to like promo or marketing or whoever makes the DVDs. But I am in one of Wes's episodes, 106. And okay. um, in the deleted scene, I'm just a, I'm just a voice. I'm a temp voice because mm. that scene ended up being a deleted scene, but we don't record most of the like opening voiceovers until the post sound work, mm. like in ADR. Makes so sense we usually record for each other. Like Wes and Matt will be like, Hey Dana, can you do these lines? And I will be like, yes, please. Cause I don't know why, <laughs> but I love doing temp ADR. And because they have a deleted scene that never made it in, we never recorded the actress. So mm. it's just like my temp voice and it says temp ADR on it. And I was like, yay, but <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, a thing that kills me that speaking of ADR and it kills me because <laughs> in episode one Oh nine, I originally did temp ADR for our captain's like log opening. And because we're, we're working in post and because it was season one and I would have done anything to make Henry and Akiva like me. Um, <laughs> like they sometimes would be like, Hey, can you do this line again? But like better, I don't know. They, they had better direction than that. Um, but like, they'd be like sadder or oh, angrier we, or whatever. We've talked to Akiva. That sounds like what he'd tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Akiva gives great notes. I mean, so does Henry. They're, they're, they know what they want, which is something I really love and respect about them. That's part of being a good director. Yeah. 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 But like I, I had recorded it a couple, like some of the lines a couple of times. And so, and I think they also just got used to it. And at one point, our post producer asked me like, hey, you know, are you like, are you in SAG? Because we would, we would just keep your voice right now. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I would do anything. What do I have to I, do? And there is actually a rule that like, I could have done it just that one time, but mm. I didn't know until after. And I was like, ah, Aww. I asked my friend who's an ADR director. And I was like, oh gosh, why didn't I talk to Ashley sooner? <laughs> and so, um. But yeah, I almost could have been in an episode and it would have been 109, which is like, this is when can I say, is it still a spoiler if it's no, been out? No, no, no. Oh, no. Okay. Anybody listening to this has watched it. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's when we lose Hemmer. So like to be part of that, that episode I thought was great too. So I was like, what, ah. what would you have been? There's like a captain's log where it's like, don't come here. Oh, yeah. okay. the, uh, that, that one. The okay. crash ship. Yeah. That oh, was amazing. <laughs> yeah. And oh. so I'm crestfallen on your behalf, but I do have a question on kind of the same lines there. You also mentioned having temp music. Do you have a go-to like temp track that you're like, I know they're not going to keep this, but I love editing to it. So this, this is what I'm putting here. Um, Not necessarily. I know some people do, but I... I mean, in season two, I would use a lot of our season one score mm. because it's it's it fits so well. Um, yeah. And before that, I would use a lot of Discovery stuff and, you know, Man of Steel and, and Batman and other <laughs> things that kind of are just, you know, other things that wish they were as epic as our show is, you know, <laughs> agree. 
So, so stuff like that. Um, I don't, man, it's, uh, and I feel bad because I wonder if I would feel differently if I was in the middle of the season, like, oh, cause that does happen. Sometimes mm. I fall in love with the soundtrack and then I just use it all the time. Like I used to use Ex Machina all the time mm. on path because it just like fit for that show. Um, in a way that it doesn't necessarily fit for strange new world. Sometimes it does, but also all of our episodes are so different that, yeah. or at least usually are so different that it, it doesn't always make sense to do the same, like to have a go-to on this particular show. Did you have a relationship with Star Trek before you got hired on strange new worlds? Uh, kind of. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel bad because, like, I'm not necessarily, like, the most diehard Trekkie, hmm. but um, one of my best friends from growing up is a hardcore William Shatner fan. She loves him. And um, so I have I have seen uh, – and she loves William Shatner specifically just to be, you know, Janelle, <laughs> Janelle will kill me if I'm like, oh, she's a Star Trek fan. She is a William Shatner fan. And but because of that, I watched a lot of original series episodes, I think either with her or because I wanted to be her friend. And I was like, OK, but I would say Next Generation is what I saw the most of growing up. Okay. And I, I'm not going to pretend like I saw every single episode of the entire series. I think at this point I might have because um, that's another thing we'll do sometimes in a tone meeting is we might reference hey, we're doing something mm, from mm. this original series episode cool or something job. like at Astro Perspera, like uh, when Picard is on trial, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, there's similarities there, which I, I use soundtrack from that episode oh, as nice. a temp nice. <laughs> um, sometimes because it was like so spot on. Um, but Next Generation and Picard was definitely my original like introduction to Star Trek. And I've seen Deep Space Nine as well. And I I just always liked it. Like I like Star Trek. I will if it's on, I will watch it. And mm. growing up we didn't have like I didn't have cable because my parents were frugal. <laughs> so um but Next Generation <laughs> Next Generation would come on so and anytime I was on I I was watching it. It you know, mm. unless I, unless I wasn't, I don't know. That's bad. <laughs> it didn't make sense. You like it, but not enough to have a podcast about it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> way before podcasts were a thing too, you know? She's ar arguably spent way more time with Star Trek than we have now, probably. I mean. <laughs> You're probably right. Like the editors probably know the source material better than anyone because they've listened yeah. to those lines repeatedly. Like, oh, yeah. I remember listening to them say the Klingons don't have hair. And yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. part of your job is to make sure that the pictures go in the right order. Like, that's. Oh, yeah. Man, that's brilliant. Yeah. We're, we're going to kind of dive a little deeper into Star Trek, uh, d despite your mediocre uh, relationship <laughs> with it. But yeah, let's start with a little word association game. So we're just going to read the episodes you edited. And we want to know the first word, phrase, the first thing that pops in your head when we say. For example, Children of the Comet. Uh, blue singing. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> Aurora's amazing. I don't know. She has All a accurate. beautiful voice. Um, How about Ghosts of Illyria? Well, pandemic. <laughs> um, <laughs> pandemic. Yep. Um, yellow. Uh, I'm like a very color-oriented person, I was gonna say, so it's like a weird no, thing no, to that's say. Good. Yeah. Uh, and it yeah. calls to mind the episode. Like, yeah. there, 
the entire atmosphere on yeah i don't remember the name of that planet is very yellow yeah <laughs> We shot Out of Order season one, so oh. um, that was actually my first episode, and uh, Children of the Comet was the second episode I cut that season. Oh, okay. Oh, so, interesting. Huh. Yeah. All right. How about the Elysian Kingdom? Oh, it's my favorite, uh, but it's a, it's a bittersweet episode for me. <laughs> I love that episode, though. It's, that's my favorite. Um, At Astra Prospera? Uh, I was going to say, like, freedom and niceness <laughs> and, like... Uh, mm-hmm. Also yellow. <laughs> um, yeah. And storyboards. Storyboards. <laughs> oh, okay. Charades. Oh, silly. Silly. <laughs> uh, silly Pike. <laughs> um. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The shot of, of, of Pike with the tray of hors d'oeuvres just suddenly turning with the wide eyes. I mean, that's probably the best edit in all of Star Trek history, right? Oh, like, as, as the so editor, funny. can you? I don't know if that's true, but I know it is something that, like, we spent a lot of time on. A lot of time on so much of it. That was, like, one of those ones where, like, I kept trying to make it work, but then not knowing if the rewatchability was still funny. Because, like, sometimes you see it once and you're like, ah, that's not enough. Oh, it is. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> it's like sitcom level comfort episode for me. Like, it's yeah. like, you know what's going to happen, but there's enough, like, uh, uncomfortable tension in it. <laughs> and just those moments where if it were 1993, there would be a laugh track right there. Right. <laughs> but, like, it's yes. just done visually and so, so good. But I'm glad so, to hear so a lot good. of thought was put into that moment. Yeah. And on the <laughs> yeah. flip side, I think one of the funniest holds in Star Trek history, when they're in the uh, transporter bay and Pike goes to walk out the door and the door just doesn't open for him. And he's just like, what's going on? Like the fact that you cho- you guys chose to hold on that. Like, yeah. Okay. Now we know what we're in for. This is Was this that is a legit, like the doors were supposed to open or did you guys, was that in the script? Like Pike tries to leave and it doesn't work. Um, I don't think it was in the script, but it was a directorial choice. Okay. <laughs> like oh, they okay. were, Man. that was a beat, uh, Jordan Brilliant. like had made and, and I, or at least I, I, they shot it intentionally and it was like, Ugh, what is happening? Yeah. And that we was gotta get Jordan back. We gotta get Jordan back. Yeah. 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 Again. Yeah. Oh, She's so nice. I loved all my directors. I have I've had nothing but great directors, so I've loved everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, how about Under the Cloak of War? First spot. War, violence, uh, AR wall, lots of AR wall. Um, <laughs> explosions, um, montages. That's an episode that we like kinda had to we re- we made it a lot shorter than like there was a lot to it too mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. can i do uh can i do elysian kingdom again because i Please. felt weird about being like oh, oh. Yeah. i don't know i just felt like i was being silly or something i don't know no, <laughs> go for it so you can talk about elysian kingdom as much as you want yeah yes. uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's cameron's um, favorite and yeah i think under the cloak of war might be my favorite i think i picked it as my uh, favorite at the end of last season so yeah oh well elysian kingdom um you know i think is like favorite and uh, 11 page speech scene and um, beautiful and fantasy. And it was like, that was my favorite episode. <laughs> that was like, it, it was a very bittersweet time in my life, like when I was cutting it. But um, it was like an episode that when it came together, it came together. And it was one that Amanda and I had, who was our director for that one, um, 
we were so in sync. Like we had such, we had such the same vision for the episode. So it like felt really cool. And we, I, I mean, I had, at least I hope that's how she felt, but like, you know, I had a, had a really good, I, I, it's my favorite episode of television I've ever cut. Oh, it's a very bittersweet (laughs) episode. Do you think like, was there some feeding back and forth that in that regard? Reasons why I'm probably undyingly loyal to this show and to, uh, you know, Akiva and Henry and, and April, who uh, we lost after the show as well. Um, she was our post-producer season one, and she's amazing. Um, such a badass. Uh, but when I was working on... Uh, oh, shoot. What is 103 called? The pandemic Ghost episode? Of yeah. Ghost I, think, of I think it's called the pandemic episode. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The one with the pandemic. <laughs> it was just, it was the funniest thing to be cutting right as we were coming out of i mean we weren't out of the pandemic it was still 2021 and it was just like oh oh this is my first job back cool while i was cutting that episode and i was in director's cut my mom got diagnosed with stomach cancer and it was like really serious and really scary and um flew home that weekend that i found out and uh leslie was our our director on that episode and uh she was very understanding on like my last day because i was kind of like uh i have two flights i could take i could take this you know, nine or 10 PM flight, but I, I also have a backup flight at midnight, you know, if we're not done and she was like, go home. And I was like, thanks. Bye. Um, but, uh, my mom got diagnosed when I was cutting episode, you know, one Oh three ghost Valeria. And, and it was my first episode of the season. So I just started the job and I was, I went home, I saw my mom and then I was like flying back on the plane in the middle seat, crying silently. Um, I paid for the Wi-Fi and like was talking to my friend Sarah, who was like, you just need to ask them if you can. You're already working from home. You just need to, you know, she gave me the line because she helps me <laughs> write my emails sometimes. <laughs> she was like, you know, you just got to tell them like, hey, I understand if the answer is no, but can I work from home? Like, can I work from New Jersey? And I sent that email and April, like I'm still on the plane and April was like, yep, Ruben, can we get this done? And I was like, ah, and it was like the best $14 I ever spent was on that, <laughs> that Wi-Fi. Um, and I think it was like a week or two later, I was in New Jersey for the rest of the season. And then, so when episode, when, um, the Elysian kingdom came first off, it, that is what I want to like cut forever is I love like action-based period pieces and, and things with fun, like big costumes and set deck and stuff. It's why I love sci-fi as well. Um, but I love fantasy and I, I loved that episode. I think uh, Onitra did a beautiful job editing it. Um, I love the Jonesian kingdom after her daughter. Like <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, but it's a crazy, it was like a crazy experience for me because it was one of the times when my mom was not doing well and I was working. It was my last episode of the season. My mom was very sick and we took her to the hospital and um everybody was extremely understanding of like of my situation. Everybody gave me all the grace I needed. I tried not to take advantage of it. I hope I didn't take advantage of it. Um, I mean, they brought me back though. I guess they were okay with it, but it was like when one of the times that my mom was doing the worst and I had, we had like one of our worst experiences. Uh, she had to get this like NG tube thing and it's literally traumatic and it was traumatic for her. It was traumatic for me. It was terrible. It was like so bad. But I ended up, I was like, at one point I was something like six days behind in dailies. I was so far mm. behind in this episode and I was so stressed out about it. And I didn't, 
but I, and the thing that sucked was like, I wanted to cut it, but like, I was in such a like weird, bad place. Cause like my mom wasn't doing well and I was on the East coast. So basically 9am uh, Eastern to 8pm Eastern. That was like the visiting hours, but 8pm is like 5pm. And so from 5pm to like midnight, I would like be working and working. And sometimes I would try to stay up later and blah, blah, blah. It was crazy. But it was one of those things where like, I eventually did catch up and like, and I loved that episode. But when I was cutting um, the very final scene between like, like Mabanga saying goodbye to his daughter, it was really hard because I was like, it was probably the first time that I realized like, oh, I might be, I might be saying goodbye soon. And so like, there's like, there's a lot of emotion in that for me. It's still my favorite episode that I've ever cut and I still love it, but I actually have never watched it uh, since it's been released yet. So yeah, that was that, that was that scene. And that was, I love that. I love that episode though. And I, I think everybody in it is just so good. And like, Pike's hair is the best part. People who hate on his hair, but you know what? <laughs> That's why that's we did it. <laughs> now, as someone Karen who makeup team cried during that scene, I can say it's the way you cut it and the performance oh. and the writing. But uh, I, I, I think now I might cry a little bit more now after that story too. Oh, when so I rewatch, sorry. yeah, no, in a good way, in a good way, no, in a no, that's, way. Yeah, thank you for sharing. That's what we love about it is because you're having so much fun with the Elysian yeah. Kingdom, and then it's like. But you know, sometimes life can be this way. And you're like, I know. And it's <laughs> always refreshing to hear that the people behind Strange New Worlds embody the values of Strange New Worlds too. Like seriously. Yeah, that they supported oh, you in you. that. Yeah. Oh yeah. These guys, I mean, everybody was amazing. I I I can't like thank them enough. So you said you were six days behind on this episode at some point. <laughs> Yeah, which kind of leads me to ask how how much time do you I should say or not but no. Like, <laughs> no no like how much time do they give you to edit an episode generally like what kind um, of lead time do you have well you know we are we get dailies the day after um the day after they shoot so like while they're shooting day two we're editing day one and then we get you know a few days after the last day of dailies and so i know specifically that like the way I caught up, um, A, I believe April, well, everybody knew, I always give people a heads up like, hey, what's going on? So I believe April gave me like one or two extra edit uh, editor's cut days, um, which was like, oh, and of course, because season one, we were sharing our AR wall with Discovery. So at, like our first half of the season all of our episodes were like half done. So they weren't like full episodes, but episode 108 was the first episode that was almost entirely done except for one scene. The the warp core scene ah. with, with Ahura and everybody, that's the only scene that's shot on the AR wall. So that was the only wow. scene we were missing. And um, so I had gotten like a full episode too. And we usually shoot, I think like eight or nine days of dailies per episode, I think. Some of them might be a little bit longer or shorter, but I think that particular episode might have been a nine day shoot and it was around July 4th. So mm. I, I just remember that I, I believe April gave me like an extra day or two uh, because of everything that was going on. Um, and like without me even asking to like, I didn't even I didn't ask for anything. She just changed the schedule and told me kind of halfway through like, hey, this is what we're doing. And I was like, thank you. And I was like cutting. I just was not getting through a whole day. And I usually try to get through the whole day 
you know, when they shoot it. Because if there's an issue, you want to be able to be like, hey, guys, the Klingons have hair. Like, <laughs> and I just remember, like, I, I worked probably by the time that I was like, you know, I was working like I would work all through the night. And then I worked the whole long weekend, like to make up for it, like, the, which, again, like, they don't need to. Nobody can get in trouble for that now because, you know, I don't think so. I'm like, it already oh, came out and it was great. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. exactly. Um, but I remember I had July 4th weekend. So I had like a day or two extra built into like the weekend. And then I had like a couple of days that week. Sometime that week is when my like cut was due. So I ha- I made up the days that I basically missed, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I love that episode. <laughs> Here's our final caller and one of our biggest supporters and best questioner, Abby. Hey, Open Pike and Dana. This is Abby Summer from the First Flight Podcast. Hope all of you and yours are well. And just wondering, as an editor, can you talk a little bit about the differences in tone in episodes? You've had a lot of work on episodes that go from incredibly serious to very emotional to comedic at times. Can you talk about how you work with tone with both the actors, the directors, all the creatives, and make sure that you hit it just right? Thanks to all of you for the great work and talk soon. Yeah, I just want to add to that. When I first looked at your credits, uh, I, I was blown away by the range of tone from courtroom <laughs> drama to farce to war <laughs> drama. Like, I was like, oh, she is going to be fascinating to talk to you because she covered the gambit. gambit. Oh, well, thanks. Edit that, well, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you. I, I mean... I think Andrew and Wes are doing the same thing, to be honest, because yeah. the nature of this show is mm-hmm. every episode's a little bit different. Um, you know, uh, Wes cut a zombie episode, but he also cut a musical. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, so I think we all kind of do that. And like one of the great things about this show is the fact that we get to work on totally different episodes throughout the season. Mm. I, I love working on a show that, you're invested in it and you know, it's, you know what the tone is, you know how it's supposed to go, you know what the formula or blah, 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 blah. Mm. And you find your own creative ways to make it interesting. But something I love about Strange New Worlds is just the fact that every episode is different. So you get this chance to be like, hey, here's a million different options to show any future employer, I can do it. And I think, you know, as far as like, working with the different tones, I think it helps when I'm able to be part of like the tone meetings and hear exactly what everybody is thinking and going for. And especially, you know, who Henry and Akiva think is the most important person in a scene or why they're doing something in a scene. I mean, even my, especially my first season too, I watched shows that Henry and Akiva had worked on previously to understand like, Hey, what is their MO? How do they like stuff done? Mm. Um, but then at the same time, I still just try to, you know, I, I try to pay attention to things. And again, I, I try to cut intentionally. This is also where that lesson that Lori had taught me of like, you still need to live life outside mm. of work is important because understanding interactions with other people, like even, you know, stuff I say to my boyfriend that he doesn't understand or something he says to me that like makes me mad or makes him laugh or whatever, you know thinking back like, oh, why did he think I was being silly when I was being serious? Oh, maybe because my voice was way up here and I was kind of talking like this and and I wasn't really looking at him or like, why did I get annoyed with him when whatever or, you know, stuff like that. Not that I get annoyed with him. He's wonderful. I love him. 
Well, speaking of amazing edits and, and contributions, can you point to to like one contribution you made to the show that you're most proud of that you could point to and say like, that was Dana. If Dana had not been working on it, that would have not made it to the final cut. I know that in charades, uh, when we were on the mix stage, I thought very specifically about the music. And um, there's a point when, you know, you see, you see Spock progressively getting more and more annoyed with Kirk. Mm. And then finally he's like, ah, gonna attack him. Mm. And at one point the music like dips out and like, and it's, it, it's for comedic effect. And originally like we just kind of had like, our composer is amazing. I love Nami. She's so talented. Um, and uh, like, and, and our music editor is, oh gosh, he's phenomenal too. Um, like I, I, I love our team. We have a great team. Um, but they like, I was very persistent about like, no, I want the music to like dip out right here. It, it has to stop because like, that's what makes it funny. And then it needs to pick back up. And I like, I was very precise about like, please no, make it stop, like completely stop. Cause at first it was like, Oh, we'll just take some stuff out. We'll take some stuff out. I was like, no, I sit out. Tantrum, tantrum. You, um, you stamped a, an awkward <laughs> silence into comedic yes. place. Like that is so cool. My entire persona is like awkward silences. So like, <laughs> I was like, come on guys, give me this one. Like, trust um, me. I know that this goes here. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I do feel like Mabanga's scene with his daughter, uh, is it's, it's almost entirely untouched from my editor's cut. And mm. I think that's because I was in such an emotional place doing it. So, yeah, so I think those are kind of like my two things where I'm like, oh, yeah. And I'm sure if I watched it, I'd be like, oh, that was me. That was my thing. Because there's always there's always something per episode where I'm like, oh, this is my moment. This is my thing that I'm going to like manipulate and keep in any way I can. How was the uh, nonlinear narrative of Under the Cloak of War? Was that challenging to edit or was it just all there in the script? Like most of it, I think, is in the script. Uh, Davey did a great job. When we got it, it ended up being like a really big episode. Um, I think my editor's cut was like 74 minutes long. And I, I, that was oh, me wow. like cutting some stuff out. And I was like, oh, no, this is too long. Um, but it's a lot of really great stuff. And we, we, we did cut out a lot of really great stuff, too. But um, a big element to that is like Mabanga's uh, shower scene. Where he's um he's in the the sonic shower or whatever it's called I think it's yeah. called that oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, guys. you got it yeah, cool. you got it um yeah so Mavanga's in the sonic shower and you're seeing the clips and the flashes of when his friend dies and everything and that was originally like a whole scene by itself like wow. all the stuff you're seeing in there that was all originally in a different place but we kind of needed we needed to shorten the script and also something about it just wasn't coming through emotionally mm -hmm. and we tried it that way we tried it with like this crazy intercut stuff and um this is another element where it was like oh i kind of like did something crazy and um <laughs> i was really worried about this episode because we did kind of like that big massive change i was like oh i don't know if people are gonna like it is it mm -hmm. gonna be and like and then the ending oh wait the ending that's something that is kind of my stamp now it's totally credited to vfx because they are gosh darn amazing like let's just like our vfx team is amazing um but we we they shot three endings but it's always meant to be like ambiguous and and that was always kind of the one we were going with um so for like our ambiguous ending um 
we like we were having trouble making it seem ambiguous if you when you were too close to the actors. Now, uh. did I have this idea or did like Akiva and Henry have this idea? And like and then I like I think we all had and Davy as well, like because Davy came in and was like part of that, too. Like like the you know, our writers are part of our, our post process, too, because um, they're amazing and we love them. <laughs> That's the scene where like we all kind of like came together and like figured out this thing. And um, I believe that, you know, Davy rewrote some of the lines that you're hearing behind that glass and everything. And that really, that really like elevated it and, mm. and sold it and made it work. And that was like kind of a cool thing. So uh, this is a little veering away from Star Trek, but we are, Definitely. we have, we have focused a lot on the, the strikes and all the union action. So Ace is a union, right? Or it's a... Uh, Ace is like, um, it's it's like a society. So okay. it's the American uh, Cinema Editors, like society of like, it's basically like great editors. Yay. Okay. Um, and um, MPEG, Motion Picture Editors Guild, is our actual guild. Oh, and then, that's brilliant. So that's our guild. And then we're one of the, we're, yeah, especially if you remember like MPEG stream. Yeah. Like, I would, oh, yeah. It would be like, why? What? <laughs> um, and then we're one of 13 guilds that make up IOTSI, which is our union. Okay. So it's okay. kind of confusing. <laughs> okay, so but you're yeah, coming. Like, so you're coming up on next year, right? There's going to be a big. That is when IOTSI's contract comes up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Takes a big drink. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with the uh, with the, the strikes that went on, like how did that affect members of IOTSI and stuff like that? Because you you mentioned earlier, you have to keep membership. You have to keep so much work going on like does that still apply exactly the same way even if other unions that affect that are on strike yes Uh the writers and the actor strikes uh very directly affected IOTSI because they they brought everything to a halt which was their intention and they all worked extremely hard and they persevered and I personally am proud of all of them I went to a bunch of pickets which was also kind of nice in a sense of like we had some like Star Trek specific pickets and I got to see the writers in person and be like, you guys are great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also, I don't live terribly far away from Sony. So I would try to go there a little more often mm. um, just to show support because I was also out of work um, for most of this year. And yeah, the strikes, they affected IATSE very directly. Um, they shut everything down and a lot of people were out of work. Also, a lot of people had trouble finding work earlier this year. I was lucky enough to start a show right as I finished Strange New Worlds. And it took me until the writer strike started. And then when the writer strike started, we were kind of at the end of the season. So it made sense to wrap me. Um, but then I couldn't, I, I was supposed to go from that show back to season three. Like I wasn't going to have a break this year. I would have had like a week or two break, which is fine. And I don't want a break. I love working and I'm, you know, young and eager enough to be like, let's keep going. <laughs> um, I'm not that young anymore. But like, I, I, I would have gone back to strange, to strange new worlds, but like spoiler alert, we, we didn't go back then, <laughs> even though like the writer's room was open, we were, we would have been ready. Um, but once it shut down, there's, there's nothing to cut. So there's nothing to go back to. Okay. As far as like IOTSI membership, just like when the pandemic happened, um, the, the union knows a little bit what, you know, they know what they're doing. Mm. <laughs> they've, they've been around for a minute, you know? Um, <laughs> so I know I was lucky enough that because I was working till May, I had 
gathered enough hours and then, you know, enough qualifying hours during qualifying period, as well as hours into a bank of uh, a bank for my qualifications for healthcare, that I wasn't going to start getting worried until like, you know, January, like Um, around then, that's when I would have started to get a little more anxious, you know, if we hadn't, if everybody hadn't um, come to deals. So, but I do know people who lost, I know a lot of people who lost their healthcare because they finished jobs in the fall of last year and then couldn't get a job in even as early as January because things were slowing down. And at first, like I didn't see it because I wasn't looking for work, but I, I have friends and colleagues who were looking for work. So I do know things were like really starting to slow down. And so some people did lose their healthcare. They also gave like waivers, I believe to some people in different regards um, or in different situations. Mm -hmm. So they might've given like extensions. And I do remember when I very, very like when I first moved up, I think to editor, I worked non-union as an editor on some indie films. And so I was, I almost lost my healthcare. I I should have lost my healthcare, but then I was like given a waiver because I, I, I assume because I had like, it was only like a 30 day waiver, like, Hey, go start getting some hours or like, you're going to lose your healthcare. Um, but they do have practices in place to try to help membership and to be supportive of membership. Cause that is the point of having them. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it, it was a struggle. It was difficult, but I think everybody I know and I've talked to, you know, from my auntie, you know, is in support of the writers and actors and their struggles because they're not unlike our struggles and mm-hmm. um, they're not unlike, you know, we came as close as we've ever come to striking in 2021 with an IOTC strike authorization vote. And we got some gains in that contract negotiation, but you know, it's funny because editors killed, like we haven't actually approved a contract in like eight years because oh, wow. we didn't, <laughs> Because we like the way it works when when IATSE ratifies it is it goes to each guild to approve of the deal. And mm. that's when we kind of become like an electoral college. And in 2021 and 2018, editors guilds both times voted, no, we don't agree with this contract. We want a better one. But we were outvoted by our other guilds. Ah. So which like, it, you know, it happens. <laughs> So technically, Editor's Guild hasn't agreed with the deal in quite some time, but here's to hoping next year will be a good deal because like you want to talk about shutting down the industry, like Mm. we shut down all three phases. We shut down pre-production, production production, and post versus like, not that you can do things without writers and actors because you can't, they're wonderful. They're, They're a vital, important part of this. Of, of all the process, but like technically editors can be editing footage if it exists and the network and studio can be giving notes without, you know, writers present. Mm-hmm. And I know some people that happened to this year where they like, they were on shows and the show just kept going on cause they were in production was already done. So like they just had to, they got through editorial and then like they wrapped and then they just couldn't do ADR until the actors Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I mean, like you said, this the strikes are supposed to be disruptive. Yeah, like that that's is the whole yeah. point. Yeah, that is the that point is the of point. them, and, yeah. and that's why they work. 
And like with IATSE, we we have like, um, I believe we have script coordinators in our, is is within IATSE. So like that shuts down pre-production as well as, as well as all of your, you know, set deck and, 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 you know, production design people who make sets before you start production, but then like you have no crew to shoot and you can't do anything with footage that's been shot if IOPSI shuts down. So it's like, right. Let's just hope we get a good deal. A yep. good Solidarity. Deal. <laughs> we, we like to be yeah. a, a pro union podcast. Bill Wolkoff has been here three times. Oh, I and love Bill. One of those oh. times he could not talk about Star Trek at all, but we still had a bunch <laughs> yeah. of fun yeah. with him. So yeah, mm-hmm. we are yeah. definitely a union positive show. So it sounds like you're coming back for season three. Do you know which episodes you're editing yet? Or it'll still be two, five, eight, I believe. Oh, okay. That's like oh. that's my that's my rotation. Okay. You know? Have cool. you gotten scripts so. all yet, or is it just two, five, eight? As far as you know. Not yet. I believe they pro- they have scripts ready mm-hmm. because we were originally going to start shooting mid-May originally and then mm-hmm. um, maybe or June. So it's like I'm pretty sure stuff's prepared and I only know tentative things. And I, I so right. like I know it's coming back for the record. It's coming back, <laughs> coming back. Or like production, at least it's, it's starting soonish. I just don't know what I'm allowed to say or not say. That's I don't right. know. Uh, yeah. Don't, don't, don't know. get yourself in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. never. Our yeah. Goal. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I've got, uh, yeah, a couple actor questions. These guys don't think you'll answer, so uh, we'll see. Oh. Feel free not to if you if you can't. But <laughs> I've always heard that like editors like two types of actors, and they're kind of the two opposite types of actors. They like actors who give an incredibly consistent performance every take. It's the same, and it's quality, and they never have to worry about that actor. Or they like the actors that give a completely different performance every take, and they can work with it and kind of create their own uh, scene out of all the different options they give them. Who on the cast is the most consistent and who on the cast gives you the most options? Oh, that's a great question. Cause they're Told you all, guys. yeah, that is, that is a great one. They're all pretty consistent, but like they all also have so much range. So mm-hmm. I, I, I would say it's actually a little more like episode dependent or scene to scene dependent because like, like Christine will like, she'll surprise me sometimes. Like she, like I'm like expecting her to be super serious. And then she says something and it's like just slightly not serious and it's hilarious. And you're like, Oh my God, how did you do that? (laughs) Um, and like, I would say Ethan is very, uh, consistent. Mm -hmm. They're they're all so good too. Yeah. And that's probably like the most, it's usually our guest stars, I think who are a little more, give you a little more, like different performances you don't really know what you're going to get because like most of our main cast like they usually do give you pretty consistent stuff um but like but it's different at the same time if that makes sense because they like know who their characters are Mm -hmm. and i think they know what they're trying to do um and this would be so good if i was like editing right now this would be such a great question because <laughs> it's have like to get you back in the middle of an episode then yeah yeah because i'm like i'm trying to think back to like different episodes where like oh you know like i remember in elysian kingdom babs was pretty darn consistent but like like christine's was like totally different almost <laughs> in different things like but she was still like but it was still, she wasn't so different that you couldn't cut the different things together. Mm-hmm. So that's, I feel yeah, like yeah. Anson probably gives different stuff because he feels yeah, very much he like does. he comes across as Pike in every scene, every episode, except maybe at least in Kingdom, of course. But 
the things he does is so surprising. It's stuff you would never expect. You would never guess that was going to be the look he gives in the next shot. But it he feels tries stuff. I, I agree with that. I think like he always like tries something a little different to be like, haha. And he's really good too about like his reactions. Like he's still he's always acting even when somebody else is speaking. Mm-hmm. Which they they're also good at that too. <laughs> um like Rebecca's great at that too. Um and so is uh uh so is Chapel, who? Jess. Jess. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love that you know about their character names. Do you have any favorite kind of like uh, background actors, especially like on the bridge scenes where they are just there background acting the whole time? And you are probably the one, you're the, probably their biggest audience, I'm guessing, that like uh, watches usually. what they're doing scene to scene, just trying to like keep the realism of the moment. Um, it's usually the people who are on the bridge because mm-hmm. like, they don't always know what they're doing. So it's like, they're like, <laughs> but, the, the, but they're not always like that. It's in like, that's just how it looks to me sometimes. Um, like, it, cause especially like when, like when Ortegas and Mitchell are doing stuff, like yes. and saying yes. things and they have like, they're so, I love the two of them so much, but like when they're doing and saying stuff, like, I feel like that's like when back background actors are really trying to, manipulate and do things but uh yeah but sometimes sometimes i don't love that because like i i I do not want somebody to be distracting i I need you to not be like all over the place but yeah but we've had great conversations with uh like with rong fu and jennifer way and and you know the 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 roles where they're they've got ideas about what their character is thinking during all those bridge scenes yeah yeah mitchell always has like great react like she's always doing something where i'm like yes thank you i love that (laughs) along the lines of background we do have a write-in from a friend of ours who was in under the cloak Mm. of war he's he's a a soldier on the ground and uh david is has sent us some really good questions and uh his question this week is what was it like editing on these episodes which will end up going down as some of star trek's greatest episodes ever and i'm i have to echo that like the legacy of these episodes like this this is very easily going to be a lot of people's first star trek and it's going to be hard for us star trek fans to be like yeah this is kind of like it tops out here a couple times like (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, but the rest of what you'll watch is going to be maybe not quite this great. Like the the spirit is always there, but like s- some of these episodes are mind blowingly good. Like specifically Elysian Kingdom. So, on David's behalf, what what was it like to edit, knowing that these are going to have a long legacy? I did go into it thinking like this is the first time we've had best potential to make this show what I think the original creator's vision was Mm. like we have the technology the capability the time um the resources to do it in a way that like you know the original series like they they couldn't do what we can do today so it's like if they could do what we could do today I think a lot of their episodes would still crazily outshine ours just because they were the originals and the first thought and all that jazz. And I, um, I think a big capability of what makes some of our, you know, some of our, our episodes and like, and just like the newer, the newer Star Treks too, like, you know, Discovery and Picard as well. Um, it's the fact that we, we 
can make it look real. We can, we can do it. It's like believable and it's cool. And it's only going to like visual effects wise. And our, our visual effects team is amazing. Uh, they're great. <laughs> um, our, the, the guys we work with in editorial and the guys who work, or the, the, the men and women, cause it's not just guys, um, using it as a unisex term because like it's, we have such a great team, um, both that work with us in editorial and work with, you know, work after I've wrapped and they work for another few months just to make it as epic as it is. Um, it's really cool hearing that people love it so much because the audience's response to everything is always very humbling and exciting and makes me happy because I really was under the cloak of war was an episode. I was really like kind of worried about. I didn't know. I really didn't know how people were going to respond to the ending and how they were going to feel about like an ambiguous ending or an ending that even if it's ambiguous, like you might come to your own conclusions and like, yeah, you know, I was like, well, what does it say about nowadays? And like, you know, redemption and mental health and PTSD and all this stuff. Cause I have never been a veteran or served my country. I have family members who are, um, and, and friends. Like, I, I don't know if I'm the most qualified person to tell the story, but like, I'm very grateful to be part of the team and along for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like what you said about the, you know, having the capabilities now, like back in the original series days, they had to dress a dog up in a silly costume. You guys haven't had to do that. So. Yeah. Nope. I'm sure I was like, that's a joke, isn't it? Wait. Oh yeah. Runa. Runa. Oh, you got to edit Runa. I love that dog. She is adorable. She has an Instagram. She is a great little actress, just like her mom. Um, <laughs> if you I listen to the Christina eyes. Chong yeah. interview, you'll hear Runa almost got a date on the show. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That was classic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. I remember cutting Runa into like her scenes, too, where she is making looks. I was like, yes. She is very yes, good is. at giving those looks. Yeah. So cute. Yeah. <laughs> They're so good. Well, I loved everything you just said there. That was a, a great answer to end on. So I've got one final question. I know this is kind of a joke to ask people in L.A., but seeing <laughs> that I saw that you uh, also studied screenwriting in film school. How's the screenplay yeah. coming? Uh, I, I, I like writing on the side. I actually part of the reason I, I double majored and I my second major was in screenwriting was because my freshman year of college, uh, like I, I also transferred schools, but like my freshman year of college, I had a screenwriting professor who, um, she basically said like, you know, editing is screenwriting. Like you're going to need to know how to tell mm -hmm. the story, blah, 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 blah. She was going through like, who wants to be this, who wants to be that. And then when she got to editor, she was like, well, you need to be screenwriters more than anybody, blah, 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 blah. blah. So then like mm -hmm. when I transferred schools, I was like, I want to be in the screenwriting classes too. And, um, and I, I originally did it just so I could be a better editor. Um, Smart. and I do like to write on the side, but like, I also work with all these amazingly talented people and I get very intimidated very quickly <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'll just keep working on that. I guess <laughs> I'll just keep that to myself. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> they say a movie and a TV show is written three times, uh, on the page, on the set and in editing. So you put the period on the final draft. Yeah. Yeah. And I love grammar, so that works. <laughs> <laughs> open Pike Night is an Open Mic Night themed podcast. 
So, Dana, do you have a joke to tell us tonight? Okay, I do. It's one of my jokes that my dad told me. <laughs> I probably won't deliver it as well as my dad does. Um, but okay. So, a guy's in a car driving down the street when all of a sudden in front of him darts this three-legged chicken. He does a double take, he sees it, gasps, and as it runs around in circles in front of him and then like flees down the road as he tries to go catch it. So he chases it and chases it all the way back to a farm and can't, he can't, he, he doesn't see it, but he sees the farmer and he goes to the farmer and he goes, do you see a three-legged chicken running around here? And he goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I breed them. And he goes, well, what, what, why would you breed a three-legged chicken? And he goes, well, come dinner time, you know, my wife, my kid and I, we all want uh, a leg. So I figured the best way to do is have a three-legged chicken. So started breeding them. And the guy goes, oh, oh well, how's it taste? Is it, is it good? Is this, how, was it worth it? And he goes, I don't know. Haven't been able to catch it yet. Oh, no, that is. I, <laughs> There's a reason I'm behind the camera. <laughs> no, I did no. stand up once to impress a boy, but all I got was a handshake. So oh, there's whatever. a story oh. there. Oh, buried the lead. <laughs> That's brutal. No kidding. <laughs> That's a handshake. We did end up That's... dating after that for a little while, but like oh. that night, I just got a handshake and I was like, <sighs> what? Gosh darn it. How many minutes did you do? Um, I don't, I don't exactly remember how many minutes I did because the reason I like did stand up was I had transferred schools and I was in this class and there was two guys and I was like, oh, they're both cute. Oh, they're put and after class, like they would always like leave together because they're clearly friends. And one day I was like, no, I'm going to go talk to them. I'm not going to be shy. I'm going to say hi. I'm, I'm at least going to introduce myself. And so like, I literally like stalked these guys down like out of the building down the street into another building and then like down a hallway and into a room when like i realized uh, and they were like oh my friend john was like oh dana are you here for stand-up club and i was like yep, <laughs> <laughs> yep. you yes uh, and in yeah. real life that's <laughs> crazy yes and i'll and so stay then, yep. like, and then like right before i went on um like, cause by the time I went on, I had determined which one I was going after. And the other one was like, oh, you know, you need to make a joke about the school newspaper. And I was like, what? Why? And he goes, well, because we, we, we hate the school newspaper. They always mess stuff up. And like, he's like, so stand up club in the newspaper. We have a rivalry. You have to tell a joke. And I was like, oh, okay. And I thought of something very quickly. And when I told that joke, it like, cause I told that joke I, I did the whole thing like I was pretty nervous and I was telling jokes and I was really relying on like the performance of like, okay, I'm trying and I'm not funny and it's going to be some awkward silences and hopefully you'll laugh because I'm so tense that you will want to relieve that like tension right there. And so then I like got to the point where I told the joke and like it erupted, or at least from my perception, it erupted like all these guys like that later became my friends because like I had just transferred. I didn't really have that many friends yet. Um, they all like jumped up and were laughing and clapping. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'm going to get off the stage now. Like I had a whole second page and I was like, Nope, nothing is going to be as good as that. In so, that like, you got to know when to fold them. Yeah. Everything about that story needs to be in a screenplay. You, write this down and make this a thing. Noted. Like half of the things that happen to you in real life feel like sitcom things. Like yeah. I, I would watch, you know, whatever the show is called, like, you know, editing Dana or whatever it is. Like, 
Well, when I, when I get up the courage. <laughs> yeah. I expect you to turn your camera and like, we'd see your kitchen is just like a disaster or some, you know, something <laughs> like the meal going horribly wrong, you know, oh, that is, that would be accurate. I, all of my best friends are great cooks or bakers or both. And I am not. And that's oh, why they're my best friends. <laughs> so you're getting yeah, to smart. the part of the year where you have to text those people and be like, Hey, do you want a low pressure gig, but still bring food over? <laughs> oh man. Like this is like, I'm, I host thanks. I like I'm hosting Thanksgiving. Uh, and because it's like my favorite holiday, but like I'm hosting Thanksgiving and I'm like, Oh, what can you guys bring? You know, I'm going to make ravioli. So like, what are you guys going to make? My friend Sarah's coming over tomorrow to like do the Turkey. So oh, yeah. I was like, oh, hey. nice. that's smart to leave it open-ended like that. Cause yeah. somebody's going to volunteer to do the Turkey. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Any plugs, any social medias to shout out? Any, anything you want, want folks to know about any stand-up shows? Yeah. My friend Lamar Jones dropped like uh a, like three songs today, and he's oh. really talented. And yay! Go check out <laughs> Lamar Jones, and he's on he's on Spotify or SoundCloud or where's he at? Crap! Great question because <laughs> I, I listened to it already, so I'm like, uh, where did I listen to it on? <laughs> oh, Spotify. Yes, yes, I listened to it on Spotify because I was like, right now Spotify. Good deal. Um, and John, John did explain to you that we're going to have you edit this episode, right? That was, yeah. that was totally <laughs> clear from the start. <laughs> okay, let's go. <laughs> I'm, I'm down. Guys, I have wanted to go back to work for so long, so like send it my way. Here we go. <laughs> I believe you completely, actually, So, but, but we yeah. won't make you do that. <laughs> well, thanks. Much appreciated. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been just a blast. Like we, every time that we get a crew member or somebody who's not a writer or an actor, we're like, are they going to want to talk to us? Like, are they going to, or are they going to feel like, I don't want to talk about work, you know? So like you have always talk about work. You have thoroughly dispelled that for us and it's going to make upcoming interviews even easier i, I just mm -hmm. i know it so thank you so much this was oh, a, lot, a lot of fun yeah oh thank you guys so much i had a lot of fun too i i, I hope it's not too difficult to edit down the line <laughs> no. <Ugh. laughs> no that's why we give ourselves two <laughs> weeks lead two weeks, time yeah, whenever exactly. possible yeah and right. it was funny actually when you were talking about the collaborative process you're like you know a note will come back and then i politely fight that note and combat <laughs> it with with my intention we do exactly the same thing. Yeah. Like, that's easily yeah. the most contentious part of our show is the edit. And I don't want to speak for Cameron or John, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I think oh, no. that's the best way to get to high quality and consistency. So yeah. it's really cool to learn that we basically make this show in exactly the same manner that you make Strange exactly. New Worlds. I mean, yeah, that's how exactly I'm, the same. That's oh, what I'm yeah. taking away from it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. I mean, this was like such a blast too. And it's like, it's always nice to work with people you like and who are nice and good to you and stuff like that. And that's like, that's my thing is I, I, another reason I love working on Strange New Worlds too. It's like, we, it's, it's like just it's a lot of nice people a lot of nice good people i've like i've had only great directors and i mean you know akiva and henry are just gosh darn amazing and our writers are so talented like everybody's great on this show and our post staff is epic too like i love uh, like we have great people on the show so oh it's so good i love it i wanted to go on forever <laughs> <laughs> we do too us too yeah <laughs> dana I don't mean to spoil the next season for you, but 
we're going to probably have to have you back after you've done some work on the next Yay! season. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. So take some that notes while you're great. editing that, that you want to talk about when you come back on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. We'll be like, oh, I'm like, let's them this. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a fantastic episode with Dana Gasparine, our hopefully first of our editor interviews. Like we said, we'll see if we can get the whole department on and shame the rest of the Strange New Worlds crew, <laughs> cast and crew. Jesse. If folks want to find out more about Open Pike Night and how we're doing all these great interviews, where can they go? The easiest way to get everything you need to be part of Open Pike Night is to go to openpike.com. There you can record your voicemail directly. There are links to uh there are links to our support pages like Patreon, our merch store. You can go to our Substack at openpike.substack.com and sign up for free. That is absolutely free, even though it's on Substack. Newsletter, which will come directly to your email and tell you who is coming up at Open Pike Night so that you can get your voice on stage. And in weeks like this, where we start packing two and three interviews over the space of four or five days, because we're so dedicated to you, the listener, the Strange New Worlds fan who just needs a little bit more to get you through to season three, that's the easiest way to do it. And of course, you can follow us on basically any social media at Open Pike. They're not all equally actively maintained, but if you speak to us on one of those places, you will get a reply. I guarantee it. And Cam, where else can folks find you when you're not on the Open Pike Night stage? Uh, well, my address is 3311. Oh, oh um, that would be a green shirt at green shirt 87 on Twitter, where uh, is my handle for green shirt and newbies track through the next generation is the podcast I host with John. Producer John T. Bolds, as well as a couple other co-hosts watching TNG. Check it out. Because you failed to 30 I years failed Don't to bury watch the lead. <laughs> you absolute failure. They've heard by now. They know my whole story. My well, shame I, has been on display for two years. Well, then I will plug the DS9 Minute, which is a special extra feed inside the green shirt feed which is an absolute joy like if you if you've ever listened to an episode of green shirt and you went like what if they had nine minutes to discuss this whole episode like everything you're picturing is there i have been having Mm -hmm. a ton of fun with the ds9 minute and that's part of the reason that i watched all of ds9 over the space of like a month (laughs) this year so that i could enjoy that more they're super fun to record that's for sure yeah they're super fun to edit yeah. <laughs> Jesse, where can folks find you when you're not on the open pike night stage? If for whatever reason you need a little bit more of me in your ears, you can just stay in this app and you can check out Sudden But Inevitable, which is my old podcast where I would introduce friends to shows that I feel like they probably should have seen. Mostly single season shows that were canceled before their time. Think Firefly, Cowboy Bebop. That sort of thing, you will find Cameron and John peppered throughout. And with the holiday season coming up, uh, be sure to follow us to find out how you can get the chance to win a Hallmark Strange New Worlds 2022 edition Enterprise ornament. And do us a favor as you're getting ready for the Christmas time holiday season, when you meet up with family, take their phone, open their podcast app, yep. subscribe them to Open Pike Night. What's the worst that could happen? Like, nobody's gonna care just just do it yeah yeah your uncle's falling asleep in the chair watching the game grab his phone subscribe to open pike night it's all good it's all good it's a victimless crime (laughs) (laughs) i got nothing i i agree (laughs) it has been a 
very long night. The Open Pike Night crew has to go rewatch some fantastic episodes of Strange New Worlds because, man, that was a great conversation. Be sure to clean up after yourselves. Be sure to tip your servers. You can go anywhere you want, but you can't stay here. Mm-hmm.